Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. Hello and welcome to Advocation Change It Up, the podcast series at the University of South Florida College of Public Health Activist Lab. I'm Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab, and I'm joined today by one of our student advisory board members and actually one of our guests today, Kayla Wilson. So how are you, Kayla? I'm great. I'm very excited to be here. Very good. So, you know, we've been away for a while due to the pandemic, but we're very excited to be back and stronger than ever. The Activist Lab at the college prepares students, as you know, to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. To learn more about us, just Google us at USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, and there you will see all our educational programs that we do, our boot camps, our seminars, our research, our advocacy, and how we work hard to make sure students have practice experience in the community at the state and national level. This podcast will involve talking with public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in public health. We'll be talking in each podcast with a guest on a public health issue, and we'll end each podcast by asking how we as a community can advocate for change. So without further ado, let's talk with our advocation guest today, Michelle Bloom. Michelle is an attorney, and she is also assistant director of the Guardian at Lightum program. For more than 30 years, the Guardian program has served as the region's exclusive advocate for children in the court system. Guardian at Lightum is an extension of CASA in Florida, and the volunteer Guardian at Lightums are court-appointed special advocates whose sole job is to serve as the voice of the child, a voice that is separate from the child's family members, their foster care providers, attorneys, or social workers. Michelle also supervised Kayla as she was working with the Moolah program from the Activist Lab. The Moolah program stands for More Opportunities to Use Learned Advocacy, hence Moolah, and it's a funded program where students are paired with agencies to work on advocacy issues, giving students that real boots-on-the-ground experience. Each year, agencies provide requests to the Activist Lab for students to work on particular programs, and students prepare an application responding to the requests. The student with the best response is chosen for that program, and this year, it was Kayla Wilson. Kayla is a Master of Public Health student in the College of Public Health and, as we said, a member of our Activist Lab Student Advisory Board. The Guardian program needed assistance this year with beginning their child trafficking court, which helps meet the needs of children in the child welfare system who were also trafficked. So today, we're going to find out how all of that went. So hello, Michelle. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Dr. Lillard. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. I had an amazing year with Kayla, and I'm so excited to continue the relationship between our programs. Oh, that's great. Could you, Michelle, uh, for the listeners, give us a little bit of the background of the Guardian at Lightum program, what you do, and how important this work was with the trafficking court? Sure. So I guess just a little history. The Guardian at Lightum program in Florida started in 1981, so about 38 years ago. And originally, it was a handful of volunteers who would talk with kids and then go to court and give their opinion. Um, keep in mind, this was revolutionary. If you look at the evolution of child welfare law, 
it actually started with animal abuse cases. Children were allowed to be parented, in quotes. You can't see my hands doing the quote marks, but pretend you can. (laughs) Children were allowed to be parented however parents saw fit, and this would include egregious abuse. So some activists, similar to Kayla and yourself, worked with attorneys and actually changed the law um, using animal abuse regulations to make it illegal to abuse a child. So what guardian ad litems do is we go in and we have volunteers and staff social workers. And our volunteers meet with the families. They meet with the social workers, the psychiatrists, the school teachers, and most importantly, the child. And through working with their team of social worker and attorney, come up with a position for what is the best in the best interest of the child every step along the way throughout their foster care tenure. We then go into court and will advocate for the child um, on behalf of the program and on behalf of the system in, in general. So in court, you'll have your attorney general who represents the state of Florida, the guardian ad litem program who represents the best interest of the child, and the parent's attorney and parents who obviously represent the parents. Mm-hmm. And so every day in court, these cases happen. If you ever go to the Hillsborough Courthouse, you'll see, you know, a large building. Well, we basically take over one of the six floors just oh. with dependency cases. In Hillsborough County alone, we are usually first in the state. Um, however, Pasco Pinellas, they share a, a courthouse, well, a court system, a circuit. They're actually number one right now. A number of cases of children in foster care. Mm. So in Hillsborough, we're number two with over 3,000 children in foster care. So these are children that have been removed from their parents due to abuse, abandonment, or neglect. And they are either placed with a relative, a non-relative, or in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. And the guardian ad litem program is appointed to about two-thirds of those children. So we're always at least on 2,000 kids. And our goal is to have enough volunteers and advocates to be on every child that comes into the system. Mm. We currently have 70 staff members and around 700 volunteers in the community. So it's a pretty incredible community run organization that takes your average Joe and with some training and heart and some spare time makes a massive difference in the life of a child. Well, that's so fantastic. That's a little bit of an overview of our program. Yeah, that's Thanks. fantastic. Thank you so much. And you do such important work. Could you tell us a little bit about your new trafficking cord and the products that you and Kayla worked on? Absolutely. So let me give a little background. Most kids come into care for either what you hear on the news, right? Like your horrible physical abuse case or your sexual abuse case. Pretty much if you see someone get arrested for something bad, their child is coming into the foster care system. Mm -hmm. And what we noticed with those cases and then more of our, our average cases, your domestic violence, your substance abuse, things like that, is that we were having a lot of kids with sexual abuse issues. And some of these children are perked on by their parents or often their parents' boyfriend or girlfriend. And that's horrific in its own right. But we were noticing a trend that some of these kids, it was even more devious. We noticed that human trafficking was going on. And I don't know about you, but when I first learned about human trafficking, I pictured the Law & Order episode that probably all of us have seen because there's like 20,000 versions in syndication, where you've got... It's late at night, and you've got people smuggling kids in a Mm -hmm. white van across the border. Mm -hmm. But what I learned in this is that actually most children, about 80% of kids that are trafficked, come from foster care because they're an extremely vulnerable population. So we started this court. It's called the Option Court, and basically it offers potentially trafficked individuals options um, for a different type of life. 
And we started a court to work specifically with the children who had been trafficked and help them to become survivors and to lead productive, trauma-informed lives where they could take the horror that they had faced and turn that around and still and have their whole adulthood. Because mm-hmm. what we found is that unlike that Law & Order episode, most kids are either trafficked by their parents. I have cases where um, I have kids as young as four years old who um, their parents trafficked them. So you have a mom and a stepdad who used drugs. They ran out of money. And so this um, couple had twins. And when their drug dealer came over asking for money in exchange for drugs, the mother offered one of her twins and said, pick a twin and have them because we can't pay you. And that is trafficking. And so she would have drug dealers come over and let them literally pick a twin. I mean, have you ever heard of something no, more vile? I've never heard of anything so like that. It's horrific. And so, but that, it's not your white van scenario. It's no. parents who don't have money and they've got a lot of addiction issues. So you've got those. And then you've got your teenagers who come into care and they're vulnerable. Their parents, most teenagers in care come from what we call lockout cases. Mm-hmm. There when parents refuse to pick them up from DJJ or they give them a hard time at home and they literally lock them out of the house. So it's not so much that they physically abuse them per se, but they've neglected them and abandoned them. They won't let them in. So these kids are looking for love. They're looking for friendship. They're looking for permanent connections. So you've got predators who prey on them through apps like Snapchat and Instagram and yes, even your kids that are huddled together in the mall like most teenagers are and so they get one or two kids involved well then those kids get some money which in foster care most kids don't have a lot of money they get a $30 allowance Mm -hmm. if they get their allowance so they rope in other girls into this life and the problem is these girls don't even see themselves as victims they see themselves as survivors that are earning money by being sold to men and they are now able to afford the things that they see people in their schools have iPhones, tattoos, jewelry, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of who we're dealing with. So we started this court, and Kayla came in right at the beginning as starting this court. And it was a huge help having someone in there with fresh eyes who hasn't been totally dated by our system. (laughs) Right. And and Kayla was just wonderful. Um, And so what happened is this judge and I, we went to Miami, and we saw what their program is. And Mm -hmm. we replicated that here. So once a month, we have court. And what happens is, is first we have a staffing. And the staffing includes the judge, which is different from everything else in child welfare. So the staffing has the judge, the parents, if they want to come, their guardian ad litem, the social workers. But then it also has all the service providers. We have mm-hmm. therapists. We have police officers. Sometimes we have the FBI presence. We have um, teachers. We have someone from the Hillsborough County Education System to say where they are. And we all get together and talk about these children. Mm-hmm. And then we bring the children in and we let them share. And we make trauma-informed decisions that's best for their life, where they should be placed, where what their visitation should be with their parents, what kind of therapy they're receiving. And it's really revolutionizing treatment for human trafficking victims because they need a specific type of therapy mm-hmm. that isn't your one-of-the-mill Medicaid provider, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. We also connect them with survivors with former trafficking victims who act as mentors Mm, to our kids. Great idea. Yeah. So what Kayla did is coming in at the beginning, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we saw this court in Miami. We knew we had a problem, but we didn't know what it should look like. Mm -hmm. So Kayla's first project was to help us find providers. Because, you know, if you watch cable TV, which I don't know if anyone watches cable TV anymore, but if you do, you see commercials and they'll have like a human trafficking hotline. 
but where are the actual services? So Kayla helped research in Hillsborough, people, your boots on the ground that are actually serving our kids in mm-hmm. care and also those that are over 18. Okay. So that was a huge help to have someone research what projects those are. Because I'm an attorney by trade. I can't tell you what kind of public health services are, what kind of public health services are needed. Right. Frankly, what public health is a lot of the time. And right. so Kayla was able to tie that together and find places that would actually be useful and that would take Medicaid, which mm-hmm. is huge because all of our kids are being funded by the state. So we need providers that will take our insurance because trying to get private pay is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So that was the first project she did. And we're using these providers to this day. I mean, we are constantly getting new providers in and having Kayla to be able to vet them and look through the different agencies and send me ideas so that I could reach out to them um, was a huge help. Because like I said, I had no idea where to start. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of scams out there. So I'll take a break and let you ask a question. <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, you're doing great. And so, so Kayla, I know, worked on the needs assessment, right? That's right. what that's what I mm-hmm. believe that you wrote in your application, right, right that yeah. you wanted to do. So, Kayla, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about what else you did and what were some of the final products with Michelle? Right. I, yeah, I just want to say that this experience was very rewarding. Oh, excellent. And, it, you know, because I, I learned a lot about the Guardian Ad Litem program and actually opened my eyes to the human trafficking issue that is in uh, Hillsborough County, you know, because if it's not directly affecting you, you don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I had the opportunity to join Michelle in court. And um, what I going into this project, I thought there would be this one single service or this one need that all these children had in common that wasn't getting met. But that really wasn't the case. What I actually found was a lot of the children have a variety of needs and um, need a combination of services. But I did find that like some general services were needed, such as therapy. A lot of the Mm -hmm. children required therapy. Um, But most of the time, the needs of the children are basically variable and and case-specific. Um, at the conclusion of the project, I was working with um, Michelle to create a presentation. Right. Unfortunately, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> we were able to present due to COVID, but um, we were going to present to the volunteers of the Guardian Ad Litem program about human trafficking and the signs and symptoms, uh, mm-hmm. what to look out for in their uh, in their children that they care for, and so um, <clears throat> uh, I. I did a lot of research and I looked at the legislature just to see if there's anything more that we can do. And I'm happy to say that Florida is actually moving in the right direction. It continues oh. to make, you know, legislature to educate children in the community on human trafficking. Um, for example, last year, the State Board of Education approved a new rule uh, requiring students that are in kindergarten, kindergarten all the way to seniors in high school that they have to be instructed in child trafficking prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot has been done, but obviously more action is needed because Florida is still is currently third when it comes to um, human trafficking activity in the United States. Right. I, I know we had a high prevalence of it and a lot of it around this area too, right? Right, around right. This, this yeah. uh, West Central or, the, or this part of Florida. Yeah, the coast. Yeah, yeah. and the coast. Yeah, it's, and, it's really bad. Wow. So, um, so from your... And fi- Kayla, I... Oh. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Go ahead, Michelle. So, Kayla, I actually haven't had a chance to tell you this yet, but some of the legislation that you gave me in the human trafficking training that you set up, um, I'm actually using that. I'm on a committee with the state for proposed legislation to go um, before the Senate and the House next year. And so I have a meeting with our judge this week 
to talk to take the legislation that you showed me oh, and to think great. of what new legislation do we want to propose. So that's something where we're kind of, you know, breaking some ground that we're actually going to be proposing new human trafficking legislation um, for consideration because of what we're seeing in the HD court. And it's little things. It's, it's what Kayla said. You know, I think she really nailed it on the head. There isn't one specific right. thing Service. that these kids need. Yeah. They need someone who understands human trafficking that helps to help them find the right placement. For example, in foster care, placement is a crisis. You've probably seen more than you've wanted to see on the news about mm-hmm. the crisis in the system. Yeah. And so, but kids in who have been trafficked, they really can't go to group homes because there's such a high recidivism rate and they recruit other kids. Mm, so we really need them to be in, in individual foster homes. In Miami, they actually do a professional foster care program for their human trafficking victims where kids live with just a mother or mother or father together and there's no other kids in the house. And they get all their services in home hmm. because of the recruitment issue. For right. example, when we have human trafficking court, we can't have the kids come in and just wait while the providers are meeting because they will recruit each other in the waiting room. So we actually have to have adults with them at all times. Oh, so anyway, it's things like that and with placements and with funding that we're going to be looking at the legislature to make some changes to help fill those gaps mm-hmm. to where we're seeing recruitment efforts still happening and where um, we're partnering with the FBI, and we're seeing a disconnect between dependency, which is the foster care system, and the criminal justice system. So that legislation will hopefully be forthcoming. Um, I'm hoping the Guardian Ad Litem program will sponsor that this year. So that'll be more info to share later, I guess. That yeah. is great. You know, the Guardian program, we're going to ask you, in a, both of you, I'm going to ask you in a few minutes about what we should advocate for. But it's it's such a wonderful program, right, for these children to be in there to, to, to be an advocate. And certainly with child uh, trafficking, I know, Michelle, that we had a speaker here uh, through the Activist Lab on trafficking. Uh, she was from Pasco County. And she talked about a lot of things that you've just said, that how it's not like it's on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, which I believe there was the movie, was it called Taken, maybe? Was that yeah. the name of the movie? Okay, mm-hmm. so where the Russian or somebody from a foreign country comes over and grabs these right. young girls. And she said that movie was probably one of the worst things that could have been done yeah. for trafficking. Mm-hmm. Because everyone thinks, when they think of that term now, that's what they think is happening, like you were saying, with the white van at night that just comes and grabs right. these kids when when so much of it is done right here. Uh, and I remember she um, talked about, the speaker talked about um, students who are in middle school. There was a, a young mm-hmm. boy she talked about who was actually recruiting um, his uh, fellow classmates uh, for yeah. trafficking. I remember yep. that. Do you remember yeah, that, he, Kayla? Yeah, yeah, she said he bought, like, How to Be a Pimp book online. He and did. And just followed that. Right on the yeah, internet. That's crazy. That's right. Yeah. And he was, he was doing that. And the audience, I remember when they heard about that, they were just almost completely silent. They could not believe mm-hmm. it. Because I think most of the people who came to that presentation really believed that it was like the movies. Right. You know, and, right. and we're worried about most that. Most people never think human trafficking is in their backyard. No. And, and in, in Florida, we have an issue with it, right? right. And so it, it's well, something... And especially, yes, no, you're absolutely right. We have a huge issue in Florida. Part of that is we have so many sports teams, like in Hillsborough oh, County yes. alone, if you think about it, all of the sports teams we have on a college level with USF, on a national football league, right. hockey league, etc. And those are huge areas for non-foster care human trafficking. For example, when we had um, the Super Bowl down in Miami, yes. there was a huge task force that was going all across mm-hmm. the state. The I FBI was that. included. 
get clamped down. The problem is they publicized that. So what we were hearing with our FBI um, contacts and with the police force is that the traffickers realized that Miami was going to be a hotspot. So during that weekend, yes, they, I'm sure they still had trafficking in Miami at the time, but they outsourced. And so a lot of trafficking was taking place in Tampa and Orlando uh-huh. because it was so publicized. They, they moved to areas mm-hmm. because they knew the police force wasn't going to be enforced there. Mm-hmm. So it's so devious and it's so interconnected that it's, it's rampant. And so, right. yes, in your bigger games, you know, we were going to have before COVID um, March, some of March Madness, I can't remember if it was for men or women, was going to be in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So we were gearing up because we knew we were going to be getting incident reports. This weekend, um, Fourth of July weekend, almost all of our kids that are on our HC court were, were dealing with the fallout from Fourth of July, you oh, know, goodness. and it's not like you hear the stories, but you see on Instagram, well, now they've got new tattoos. Now they have new jewelry. Where did that come from? Where did a kid that's 14-year-old and then foster get the money to have a sleeve tattoo? I mean, the money comes from you somewhere. Know, that's, so, that's amazing. You know, I have a question for you here, Michelle. Um, if Florida is number three for trafficking, what states would be one and two? Like, who who's ahead of us? So I, New York and California are problematic. Texas can also be problematic. Wow. Um, but it's your, it's your big populous so states. Big, it's your big, big cities. states, yeah. Right. But I'm sure trafficking right. can go on anywhere, right, though? I mean, you don't, right? It's it probably does. throughout the country. And so much of it isn't recorded. Because if you think about it, oh, yes. the four-year-old that I was telling you about, the four-year-old twins, Horrible. those are never making statistics for trafficking. Because it's not a group of four-year-olds aren't recruiting, but it's these parents that are using their children as right. income, basically. To, I mean, I've had... Um, another case you would consider a trafficking where a mom, she had five different children and she pimped them all out um, for her habit. And again, that's trafficking, but never recorded. But so, not so recorded much of it as trafficking. Is, yeah. It, it, and it's messy. And especially because things are coded as trafficking because prostitution is illegal for, or prostitution is illegal everywhere. But if a child um, is engaged in prostitution, a child can't be because prostitution right. involves consent. Consent, yeah. So, and a child can't consent to that. So any child that thinks they're prostituting themselves, they're actually being trafficked. And so that's part of our problem is our kids don't realize that they're victims mm-hmm. because they believe and they're told that they're doing this themselves. That's how they're taking care of themselves. And it's just horrific how brainwashed these kids are. And so I think the numbers are way higher than what we see mm-hmm. in reports mm-hmm. because of how nefarious it is and the psychology behind it right i think that's so many in so many things in public health right Right. we just we we have the surface right we don't have any idea what's underneath there right right? or the true true number of cases well i know kayla you loved working with michelle and the guardian program because you know you know for the program from moolah kayla did her reports and she gave me a final report and everything (laughs) But I, I know you really like the program because right. you did something at the end right. that maybe a lot of other students wouldn't have done. So what, what did you do? I, I actually became a volunteer. And I have to say <laughs> the story that really like moved me was um, they have a story in training about this girl named Mary Ellen Wilson. And I my last name is Wilson. So that really yeah. touched me. And she was like one of the first <laughs> children to be taken uh, from a bad situation and placed in a home where she'll, she can um, be loved and, and, you know, grow, you know, safely. And so, um, yeah, that really moved me. And I became, I became a guardian and 
I have a little, I, my child is a little girl and she, she actually has a birthday coming up. Aww. Um, Aww. yeah, unfortunately we still can't, uh, right. She can't, you yeah. can't see her. Cause I think right. one of the right. things you told me was that you wished you could see her right. and now due to COVID right. that stopped all of that interaction, but you still talk to her though, yeah. right? The family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have virtual visits every mm-hmm. month and I, I'll probably have to send her a gift through Amazon or something, but <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. That's a way to get it there. So, um, well, and we love that. I mean, Kayla yeah. was like, what's this? shining success and then for her to actually be a volunteer that's is great heartwarming. I mean, and it's it amazing was. i mean it's above and beyond which is pretty typical of everything we see out of your program <laughs> um but kayla just exceeded expectations and and that's absolutely with covid it has changed things um we haven't been able to see kids we are now able to see kids if they move so mm. for example if um your child were place somewhere else we could do like a front yard visit where everyone wears masks and the child stays socially distanced but you can see them and the caregivers are doing virtual tours of their houses but we are definitely concerned about all of our kids not just our human trafficking kids but all of our kids during covid because you know when kids come into foster care it's normally because of teachers or daycares or after school programs that report because they see the signs and symptoms of abuse well, mm-hmm. now with everyone being inside, right, you can't with see it. Tensions right. rising, we have no Indefinitely. idea what's happening. And so, once things started loosening up, I can tell you our shelter numbers shot way back up again. Today, um, I believe we had 11 shelters yesterday. We have seven today, and that's not kids; that's families. Mm. So you're looking at anywhere probably between 20 to 30 kids that were removed last night oh um, from their homes. Now that the numbers are starting to pick back up to normal with things reopening, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I know. It's a good time to be a volunteer, mm -hmm. Kayla. Bring your friends. (laughs) It is. So I know the number of cases due to COVID. You know, the ramifications of COVID are much more than just the physical problems um, that you can acquire. I mean, we've seen domestic violence cases increase, child abuse cases, and of course, uh, a lot more uh, purchasing of firearms. Uh, as people are concerned, which which has us, you know, also very, very concerned about because those firearms come into the home. And so and there they are, you know, and there there's much more access. Um, But, you know, it's um, it's it's very terrifying. But, you know, um, we in sort of to wrap up some time here, Michelle, um, we always end our podcast by asking, what can we do as a community to advocate for change? So I'd like to ask that of you, Michelle, uh, for the Guardian program, for the Child Trafficking Court, and also for, for Kayla. Okay. All right. I'll- so I think it's multifaceted. Um, first of all, we always could use more volunteers, specifically with teenagers, right. specifically with in human trafficking court. And the thing is, to be a volunteer, you don't have to have any special credentials. You don't have to have a social work degree or a public health degree. You just have to be willing to take the time and to have an open mind under what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that you can, you know, there's a lot of organizations where you, you know, you volunteer your time, time is precious and you don't know if you can make a change. Well, this is one organization where when you volunteer, you absolutely change a child's life. Yes. Without a doubt, you are the one 100%. Um, predominantly that the judge listens to and that can make a difference. So mm-hmm. that's one way that people on a personal level can change. Also, we would, we do want to do legislative reform. We want to have mm-hmm. legislative reform for, um, funding systems for some of our victims for specific services things like that and so i think that the public health program could help with that and individuals when you're 
choosing who you're voting for, look at what their record is on these issues. Look at where they spent money. Look at how they've invested in schools and mental health programs, because all of that ties in with trafficking. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, now um, there are more signs out there for what to be on the lookout for, right. what to see. I would recommend to keep your eyes open. When you're in school and you see the poor child magically have money out of nowhere, or when you see kids that are acting out of the normal or over-sexualized behaviors at younger ages, those are usually signs and symptoms for something deeper going on. Mm. So those would be Good the main points. ways that the public could start to notice it. Because I think, unlike other issues, and maybe i just been ignorant in the ways of public health. Maybe this is more kind of like you were saying before, there's so much underneath the surface. But I feel like human trafficking is really under the surface. Yeah. And I think just the more we educate ourselves about what to look for, that people could make a difference. In the state of Florida, everyone is a mandatory reporter. Right. So if someone sees signs and symptoms of this, you're all mandated to report suspected abuse, abandonment, or neglect. And human trafficking also always falls into that. You know, when you're going to football games and you see older gentlemen with younger girls, yes. ask yourself why. You know, maybe mm-hmm. keep an eye up. Don't get involved because that's dangerous. But stand there and, you know, who knows by you kind of standing there that hey, what you could stop or even ask the child, you know, where's your parent? Something mm-hmm. just to get involved to maybe diffuse the situation. Great. How about you, Kayla? What do you think? I was thinking that, um, well, when I was training to be um, a gal, they did have a section and they, they talked about human trafficking and the signs and symptoms to watch out for when you are um, when you with your child. I was thinking we could maybe go a step further and have the volunteers teach some prevention to the children that they, they care for yeah. just because. Yeah, that's an excellent yeah. idea. Right. What, for what them for what them to watch out for. Right. right if yeah. somebody approaches them or. Yeah, yeah because they're a vulnerable population, you right. know. So I, I was thinking that was something the, the Guardian Ad Lion program can do. And then as far as the community, I think we have um, – a window of opportunity coming up uh, with the Super Bowl coming to Tampa. Yes. Well, still scheduled, you know. Whenever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. I, right. I think, uh, well, Miami-Dade County, they had campaigns and they, mm-hmm. you know, they had billboards and they, they said, you know, what to look out for and who to contact if mm-hmm. you suspect uh, human trafficking. And to my knowledge, I don't know if they caught any more, but they did rescue 20 human trafficking victims. So I Mm. think that was a good success, Mm -hmm. right? And I think um, when that time comes for Tampa, I believe they'll probably do the same campaigns here. But instead of just, you know, forgetting about it once the Super Bowl is over, we continue to have those campaigns going on and we continue to have those billboards showing who to call and who to contact. Yeah. Right. Right after that. You know, and and I'm thinking this is such a prevalent issue. This is another one of those public health issues that should be taught in school. Right. right? This is another thing that we should start with children. As as Michelle was saying, of course, we heard the story about the four-year-old twins, but even very young, we need to start telling children. I mean, we do tell them about stranger danger and all that kind of things, but we really don't get into this situation. If someone comes up and makes you a proposition to do something, hey, you can make some easy money this way, to really be on the outlook and, and also work with them about how to respond to that person. Right. Right. I mean, we always... And that's exactly yeah. what... Yes. Yeah, I was going to jump in there. Um, Something that Kayla said reminded me of another action second, just piggybacking exactly what you were saying. I was once talking with a therapist um, who had dealt with children that had been sexually abused, Mm -hmm. and she said there's so much power 
when a child says no and when a parent teaches the child that they have autonomy over their body and that no one is allowed to touch them and to not believe any of the lies. She told me it dissuades so many potential perpetrators from violating a child when the child actually says no and takes ownership of their body Mm -hmm. because they realize this child will follow through with consequences. And so I think that teaching that in the schools and having children understand at a young age what the anatomically correct terms are for their body, that no one has the right to touch them, and that no one has the right to do anything to them will make a big difference mm-hmm. um, in our kids' lives. And as those kids grow, then they can volunteer and help in other areas. Um, a lot like Redefining Refuge is one group that works with human trafficking victims. And again, there's no special steps to work with our kids. They just have to volunteer and go yeah. through the training and can be certified. Yeah. So there are different outlets that just take your average Joe citizen and a lot of background checks um, to be <laughs> able to work with survivors yeah. because there's such a need. Well, I really think that our listeners um, are going to find this so important, right, as we move forward. And I would just ask our listeners to check out the Guardian at Lightum program. Just Google it in Tampa. You can see information on there about how to become a volunteer. You can learn more about their efforts and how they are moving forward. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. It was really a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for everything you do with the Guardian at Lightum program. You're certainly changing lives for children. And thank you, Kayla, Thanks. for <laughs> participating Absolutely. with Michelle and her group and uh, becoming a guardian yourself. Thank I was you. very impressed with that. So on behalf of the USF yes, College, <laughs> thank you. On behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, our guests, Michelle Bloom and Kayla Wilson, Hey, we thank you for joining us today and keep listening. We're going to have new segments coming soon. I'm very proud to announce that soon we'll be launching our series on racism, health, and life. We will have several episodes on this topic and once again, how we can advocate for real change. As always, we would love to hear from you. We want to know how we're doing. So please email us with your feedback at COPHActivistLab, all one word at usf.edu. So until next time, this is Dr. Karen Liller. Remember, find your voice. Let's change it up for the better. Keep listening and join Advocation Change It Up. Tell your friends and family we're on all media, Apple, Spotify, and more. So thank you again. And hey, when it's safe to be out and about, come see us in the Activist Lab.